everybody and welcome to Poets in a Pod. I'm Becca Anderson and today we'll be talking to YCA's in-house therapist, Dr. Grand McDonald. Before that, I want to give some quick guidelines that our organization follows and are really like the root of everything that we do here, especially the Youth Advisory Council that hosts this podcast. So when we're here, we don't tolerate discrimination against anybody. We are of a family and we love each other. So there'll be no racism, no sexism, no homophobia, no transphobia, gender bias, ableism, ageism, colorism, or fat phobia. With that all in mind, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Like I said, her name is Dr. Grand McDonald, and she received her doctorate in clinical psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She was proudly born and raised on the south side of Chicago, where she now resides. Dr. McDonald currently works at a private practice called Grounded Healing, predominantly treating children, adolescents, and adults with a specialization in trauma work. While her career adds purpose to her life, she values and prioritizes her life outside of work, experiencing joy in many forms. Recently, working for YCA has inspired her to unearth the many possibilities of her career, and she looks forward to seeing what's next in life. So thank you for coming on, um, Dr. McDonald. And do you have anything you kind of want to add to that? Any like fun facts about yourself just to start off late? Um, no, but I am getting a dog soon. That's, That's my awesome. new thing. Yes, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Are you getting it from like a rescue? Yeah, so um, I'm going to get a rescue dog first before I get a puppy. And I've had a dog before and I lost my dog last year. So it's been enough time that I think I'm ready to get another dog. I'm sorry for your loss. Losing a pet is really hard. My dog it passed is. away like two years ago and it was rough. Yeah, it's really hard. It was my first time. So I was definitely thrown for a loop, but. I think I'm ready. That's good. Um, Have you ever been on a podcast before this one? No, actually, this is my first time. So when you guys kind of presented this to me, I was a little nervous about it. Um, But yeah, this is my first podcast. And I listen to podcasts, but I've never been on one. What kind of podcast do you listen to? Um, Mostly murder mysteries. That's like my jam. Anything with like serial killers, discovering like mysteries of past unsolved murders, all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, that's definitely like the most that I listen to. I love those. That's what I listen to, too. Um, And don't worry, I feel like you're doing great. Like, welcome to your first podcast. (laughs) Um, How did you get started with YCA? Because in your like little blurb, it kind of talked about what you've done before that, but what ended up dragging you kind of into like this scene? Um, well, um, I kind of had some connections to YCA, YCA my whole life before this, um, like through my dad, through friends that have been part of YCA, the people that work for the YCA. And then um, I think it was 2020 when you guys started forming the town halls, um, just kind of talking about everything that had been happening in the organization thinking about making structural changes, organizational changes and things like that, and really trying to make sure that it was a safe space for everyone involved in the organization. And that's kind of when I got brought in as kind of someone to consult with and um, kind of be at those town halls and be there to kind of make sure that everyone does feel safe, if things were coming up for people, because we were talking about some pretty triggering topics. Um, I was there to kind of, you know, be there as a resource and things like that. 
And then after the town hall ceased and YCA started again, um, then it was kind of like, we want to have this like a permanent thing. And how do we kind of incorporate mental health into the entire organization, as opposed to it being like this kind of one-off thing that we take care of when quote unquote, something bad happens. So yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And I was super excited because I, I love everything the YCA stands for and, and what it's done for the youth in, um, in the city. So I was excited to join. Yeah, that's awesome. Mental health is super important, especially in like the age range that we serve teenagers. I feel like it's so prevalent. And I think with COVID, it kind of got worse for a lot of people and it took away a lot of resources for them. So it's good that you can give resources to the people who participate with us. I love that. Um, Speaking of resources, you kind of talked about your role at like the town hall since then. What are the things that you like offer and how do you interact within like the organization? Um, that's a great question because um, you guys have someone new that you guys hired that's like the director of programming and her and I have been working together very closely um, as of the past three or four months. So my first year kind of working with the YCA was kind of like, let's see where I fit in. Like, can I go to different programs that exist? Can I get my name out there? Can I start to meet the staff? And the students be kind of aware, you know, that I exist. And now it's kind of like, I am going to intentionally be at certain events that you guys have. I'm going to help um, the different um, art teacher artists to kind of work through different ways to respond to youth when things come up. Um, Again, providing actual resources. What does that look like? Like actual things that um, youth and staff can utilize when things come up from them personally or at work. Um, being a lot of help in terms of running the different programs, like check the method, how do I incorporate something that is already in place for when things happen or if students need help. I also am offering therapy services to some of the youth that need them. So we've kind of created a structure to provide a certain amount of sessions. And then if more youth need help, I'm kind of a gateway to helping them connect with other therapists. Um, So it's a lot of different stuff that you guys have kind of tried to get me to do. Um, I think the big goal is, how do we create um, this as an ongoing system that works kind of with me and other mental health professionals? And then also that the staff that work there feel prepared and capable of like managing things like that come for them through kind of this work. So I kind of have my hands on a lot of stuff. Um, so it's still a, it's in progress because this is kind of new for the YCA too, which is awesome. And I feel kind of honored to be a part of this kind of new thing that's happening. But um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of what I've been doing so far. Yeah, those are all great, being able to help everybody. And I love that you mentioned working with the teaching artist. To me, that's really interesting. I didn't really think about that. And I think that is a good thing to do because you can't be everywhere all at once. Um, yeah. With kind of you providing different resources over time and interacting in different ways, how do you feel like YCA youth has done like utilizing you do you feel like you're underutilized do you feel like you were being used a lot more first in town halls and then it kind of dipped I think I'm um being kind of overutilized I think the students are really gravitating towards this being incorporated just in general in YCA right like this um, added piece to understanding each other being supportive of each other right mental health and art often collide right in expression and so it's very prevalent in this space so I think as of recently, I've had a lot of students just knowing who I am when I'm at an event, come up to me and be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. It's really nice to meet you. Like, I heard that you're here. I've heard, I've had students just introduce themselves. I've had students actually come up to me and be like, 
I have a question about the specific thing that's going on in my family or with my friends. So for the students perspective and the youth of YCA, 100%, you guys or they have been very excited about um, my presence and the YCA's um, intentionality of like incorporating these things into the programs and, and um, educating the, the people that work with the youth and educating the youth and all these kinds of things. So I think it's only increasing as I've been here. I think we're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we make this something that works cohesively and that becomes something that is um, being run throughout YCA onward? Yeah, that's really good. I'm happy to hear that people are like really comfortable to you with you, like just to come up and be like, hey, here's my name, you know, that's mm -hmm. awesome. And to have somebody that you can trust enough to like talk about a personal issue you're having, I think is really important. Um, you mentioned that you were kind of overutilized. Do you feel like you and what you can do is enough for YCA or do you think that there should be more? And if so, what would you kind of plan? Up? I definitely think there should be more. Um, and I think that's why I'm here. So we can figure out what does more look like. Um, again, this is new for the YCA. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, as someone that is consulting, what do you see is missing? Like, where do you think um, you would be helpful? Um, where do you see like a need or there a lack of? Right now we're, we're working on a consent workshop, something very basic, right? But they're like, we've never had a consent workshop and we kind of want it for the community and like the staff members for the YCA. So what does that look like? Okay, so we've kind of been talking about what does that look like? Is that something you ask for one once a year? Can the, the staff be you know, able to run it? Does it have to be run by a psychologist? Can it be another mental health professional in this space? So overutilized in the sense that I'm in under understanding that we kind of figure out what does this look like for the YCA and how can I be a part of that? And I love that the YCA is aware that I'm not enough and they're aware that, okay, if we're gonna have this person, what is this going to look like to be maintained with not just one person? So I think another piece of what I'm doing is, um, again, like you said, like the teaching artists, they're not trained in, you know, responding to mental health issues. They don't have the knowledge about certain things, right? But does that mean that you have to be a mental health person to do your job? No. But can they have enough information and know what to do and how to be responsive and, and know these things already, right? That is going to be important, right? As opposed to saying, like, we have to have someone there to do this one specific thing. No, we are knowledgeable people that understand, like how this looks in this space, working with this demographic of people, we have resources on hand and we have a next step in place. So I think that's like where the overutilization is trying to figure out how does that look. Yeah, consent, the consent workshop, I hadn't heard about that before. And I think that's so cool. I think it's so important. I'm a very big advocate of teaching people about consent because you'd be surprised how many people I talk to Maybe you wouldn't be surprised, actually, but the <laughs> amount of people that I talk to in high school or now in college who don't mm -hmm. understand what consent actually is, is like insane to me. I just I don't know how that happens. There's something very flawed in the way yeah. that we're teaching people. Yeah. And it's crazy because there's like um, a children's book that I'm thinking about using for one of the workshops. And it's for like three to twelve. But the book does an awesome job for anyone literally breaking down steps of like, what does consent really look like? And no, it's not just yes and no. And it seems so childish, but every adult I've ever used this with and teen, they're like, wow, I never even thought about this. Or I never conceptualized consent in this way, right? So it's these kind of things, I think, kind of continuously teaching and educating in the YSA space, they're going to be helpful. That's awesome. Do you happen to know the name of the book? We not might at the top of my head, shout it out? but I can share it. 
That sounds great. That would be awesome. Um, Kind of going off of that and talking about how you're being utilized and how you see more and more participants interacting with you and taking advantage of your services. Do you feel that mental health issues are more prevalent in the art world or do you feel like it's kind of the same? Um, I'm hesitant to say more prevalent. I think that the beauty of the arts is that it allows people to find a way to express those things that if you don't have accessibility to that, right, or you don't know how to utilize the arts in that space, you express it differently, right? Or you don't utilize art to express these things you're struggling with. Um, And I think that because artists feel comfortable doing that and they know that this is where they can be their most genuine, their most raw, their most authentic selves, there's, um, it seems as if, right, it's more prevalent because it's talked about, it's in the art, right? It's, um, It's in the song as opposed to, and a banker who maybe is a maybe express, expressive person still struggles with depression, right? But there isn't this outlet of um, music, dance, poetry, etc. Yeah, it's a very good outlet. I remember I really got into poetry my sophomore year, and mm-hmm. I was having like the worst time of my life my sophomore year, and it was so helpful for me. It meant a lot, but I ended up still needing to like go to therapy and go through like different levels of care with that and I think some people believe that art can do more for them that maybe is like healthy um, or possible do you feel like that's something you've seen and like why like why or why not a hundred percent and I see that pe- with people that aren't um, artists too. Like, you know, the, the most famous thing is like, why don't you have therapists for? I just talk to my friend, right? And so it's very similar with um, many artists, not all, but you know, like I paint. So that is my expression of my trauma. I don't need to go to therapy. Um, and again, I think there's a difference between an expression of something, a way of processing something, right? And actually getting treatment for something, right? Talking to your friends isn't talking to a professional. So there is this kind of... Um, newer thing that's coming up that that is therapy and they're very different, right? You go to a specialist, right? Someone that's trained in something to help you understand triggers to things, help you understand ways to cope with things. What does that even look like? What is coping with something? Ways to understand how you kind of relate to people in the world and and why are are there patterns in your relationships, right? So the art is the second piece to that, right? If I'm feeling pain, like this is what it looks like that day, or I'm really frustrated with something. So I utilize my art to like work through those feelings, right? Which is very different than being in treatment for things that we're struggling with. Could you real quick uh, define Mm -hmm. what a trigger is just in case people listening haven't really heard that term before? Sure, Um, and we all have triggers. Um, So I guess the example is, you know, um, say you've been in a really bad car accident and like the last song you heard was, I don't know, Taylor Swift is coming to my mind and probably because I'm not her biggest fan, but a Taylor Swift song came on. And um, that specific Taylor Swift song, when you hear it, your heart starts racing randomly. And you're like, why is my heart racing when I hear this song? Oh, it's because the song is triggering this very traumatic experience in my life, right? Whether it's triggering the memory of it, whether it's triggering like the physical sensation of being in the accident, whether it's triggering like the auditory part, right? There's so many ways that we experience things in the world. So a trigger can be physical, emotional, mental. So that's like a trigger. It's like something that happens that kind of reminds us or takes us back to 
um, something else that's happened and usually not a positive thing. Sometimes it can, you can trigger great things in people, but when we use the word, we're usually looking for more um, things that are harmful or difficult for people to work through. That's a really good explanation because we really promote like trigger warnings before pieces. Um, I've been to a lot of open mics and stuff like that that require trigger warnings, but I feel like some people don't know like what could be a trigger um, and like don't know what to warn about because to them maybe it doesn't seem like anything important. Even like things like death or stuff like that, some people are really bothered by that. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't think you wouldn't think of it because to a lot of people it's just normal. Yeah. Um, taking a step back, because I <laughs> I rerouted the conversation. Okay. When it comes to people using art to cope, how can they themselves work to recognize when it's gone too far? Like what should they do if they feel like oh, maybe this is, maybe this isn't. They're listening to this right now and they're like, hmm, that sounds like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can they like really notice that and what should they do? Mm -hmm. I guess the biggest piece is when you look in your life, how are you um, functioning in your life, right? So you're utilizing your art to maybe care for, amend or heal something um, and you're realizing you're still struggling with that same thing. So, right, maybe I'm using my art to kind of work through my body dysmorphia issues but I still hit my body, right? I'm still not feeding it. I'm still not loving it. I'm still not taking care of it, but I'm using my poetry to express my feelings about this thing, right? And so the point of therapy, the point of treatment is that we don't have to struggle with that, right? We may, you may always struggle with body dysmorphia, but can it get better? Can you understand where it's coming from, right? So it's your ability to see like, is my art just a way of expressing something in as part of the healing process? Or is it just my way to like put out what I'm struggling with and then that it sits there? And there's no change in that, right? The treatment is so that we can find some release, some relief, some joy, a little bit of help in this way, right? And the art, if it's not changing what's happening in your actual life, you don't see these things work through, right? Then it's how helpful is this thing, right? Is this just an expression of what I'm feeling or is also helping me heal and process, right? The both pieces you need. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's another very good description. Mm-hmm. My therapist would be like, snaps. Um, I love her so much. She's oh, she's the best. Great. That's the great like, Yeah, I've seen her for like three years and she's just she's so cool. Um how when it like what you described, do you feel like you see that in YCA when you've gone to programs and you've seen performances? Mm-hmm. Like, is that something you've noticed? Oh, a hundred percent. I went to like one open mic night and it's just like trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. And I'm like, okay, you guys are dealing with a lot of things. Not, I'm not shocked by that, but it is, I always go to, uh, I hope this person is, um, you know, seeing someone for this, or I hope someone in their life knows that this is maybe like something they're really struggling with. Sometimes we think that the things that we're going through aren't big deals and then you like say what you're going through to someone and their reaction lets you know like no this is serious or like that's not okay or I'm worried about you so a hundred percent yes I definitely see it um in the the youth at the YCA's um and their art um not everyone but it is I would say 60 percent and I think it's beautiful because it does show that you guys are able to be expressive and be open about what's going on in your lives my always second is okay 
Now, what does that look like? What's the next step? Like, are they okay, really? Right? Or is this just them kind of talking about what's happening in their life where no one to share right now? Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like I've seen that. <laughs> I yeah. think a lot of poetry that I've like a lot of poetry events I've been to tend to be very focused on like some very dark topics, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing because it's okay to talk about like your trauma and like the things you're struggling with. But I think when like 98% of the poems are that, you know, and when you're not necessarily seeking help, like outside help with that, mm-hmm. that can be very concerning. Very much um, so. We're going to take a break to talk about YCA things. Every Word Counts is working on YCA's first ever EP with some new studio equipment we got. Stop by on Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. if you want to be a part of that process or if you just want to learn more about it. Right after that, we have Check the Method from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. every Saturday, and Amon is always coming up with new ways to inspire and create. These programs are free, as always, and are for all writers and music lovers, ages 12 to 25. You can visit our Instagram at Young Chicago Authors, no spaces, to learn more, of course. Club Wordplay is still running every Tuesday, so come through after work or school or wherever you are. Next announcement is about plugging your poems or music. If you have a new project that dropped and you want to have it featured in our monthly newsletter, visit the submission link in our Instagram bio. You can also plug local events, pop-ups, fundraisers, open mics, and businesses. Visit yca.2 slash spotlight, that's yca.2 slash spotlight, to see the latest spotlight. Now back to Dr. G. We've talked a lot about how like mental health interacts with like the art world and with YCA. Mm-hmm. How do you, if it happens at all, how do you feel art interacts with your like treatment methods? Is that something that you use? Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to use it a lot more when I worked with a lot more um, children. Um, and I always think that's interesting when it changes when you work with more adolescents and adults, because it's like, the utilization of art for therapy kind of disappears. And I think that just speaks to a lot of what it quote unquote means to become an adult and this disconnect from things that brought us joy as children or are comforting, right? What does it mean to be an adult, right? These kind of silly things that um, the world kind of pushes upon you. And so I do like to, because I also am very individualized when it comes to who I'm treating, everyone is different. So if I can see in that person that they, that art has been something that's been useful in their life or helpful, or they have a connection to art or that's something that they love or, right, you don't have to be an artist either. It's kind of like, oh, I just really love music. I love listening to music. I'm like, maybe if I was a girl, if I, the songs that remind you of your family, right? So that is still a way of utilizing, right, arts without it having to, you have to be an artist, right, or good at something. So I do try to... Um, integrate that into my in my treatment but again it depends on who I'm seeing I definitely use a lot more for children and for adults that are more free to it I have a clients that color during their session and it helps them talk through things and bring down their anxiety and open up more right and that's in session so then I kind of say what does that look like outside of session right is that something that you use when you're stressed out from work and you you get home and you're like really upset Maybe you need to color for 15 minutes. So very much so individualized, but me being a big arts person, I do try to um, see where I can find it, find it in people's lives because um, I think it's important, right? Again, whether you're an artist, quote unquote, or not, the arts are important. Um, and so I, I think that it can be a very helpful healing tool. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think the idea of like adults and like what growing up means and what we like let go of is so important. There's a C.S. Lewis quote, which I'm not going to remember word for word, Uh but it talks about how people think they're growing up when they throw away the things they had in childhood. But Mm -hmm. really, like one of the most childish things is to let what other people think dictate what you like and like what you enjoy. Um. Which is awesome. I totally agree. I love that. Like, so. It's awesome. You should do childish things. You know, I had a bowl of like Lucky Charms for breakfast yesterday and it was very healing for me. <laughs> it made me feel very good. <laughs> I'm like the biggest like Winnie the Pooh fan, Charlie Brown fan. So like people were kind of like, who's that toy for? It's mine. Like it's in my house. <laughs> I don't have children. Yes, it's for me. Yes, I'm going to the movie theaters to see childish quote unquote films. Like what does that even mean? So I a hundred percent love that quote that you just said. Yeah. It's I'm an English major. So I know a lot of fancy. <laughs> That's like the one thing I remember. Cause I thought it was cool. Don't ask me for anything else. Um, other than art. Cause you talked about how like it's different for adults and stuff. Mm-hmm. What usually, or every also obviously everybody is different but what usually happens in a session with you or how do you approach having a session with somebody kind of like in general yeah okay um I guess my sessions really start off and this is typical for most people they call it intakes and you kind of just gather a lot of background information about people and those are like your first two sessions Um, And then after those first two sessions for me, um, I very much so am kind of like, all right, we've made these kind of idealized goals. We've talked about why you're here, what we're kind of working on, but I don't know you, right? And no work can be done unless I know you, unless you feel comfortable here, unless you feel safe here, unless we have a relationship, a working relationship. So for me, that's my biggest thing. So before I even take on a client, I see like, are we going to be a good fit? Maybe. And that's still, you never know until you kind of get in there. And so for me, like, after those first two initial sessions, I spend at least the next five sessions getting to know you. What was your day like? What do you do, what do, you do on a regular basis? Like, and it's interesting because a lot of clients too don't know what's too much to, to tell, right? It's like I say, how's your day? Oh, it was good. I just went to work and then I grabbed dinner afterwards and I went home. You told me nothing, right? So then I'm spending a lot of my time like, okay, so like, what, do you, what did you do at work? Like, what time do you get there? Do you get there late? Are you there early, right? Do you enjoy coming to work in the morning? Like, what is the morning like for you? These things are so important because I can now picture what your day-to-day looks like because I'm not you, right? So I spend a lot of my time, again, really getting to know the person that I'm seeing and then um, seeing what they need from me. Some clients need homework. They need to know like, okay, I want you to go home and I want you to practice writing your journal three times a week. At night, it's gonna be a good bedtime routine. Some don't need that. They all come with different things. Some people have been in therapy in the past and this is their fifth time and they're, right, they're here working on something different. Some people are new to therapy. Um, So very much so it is kind of who you're seeing. Um, I know that there are different ways that we practice. There's like cognitive behavioral therapy. There's like psychodynamic therapy. So this is getting kind of more into my field of kind of how we practice. Um, I practice from a very relational psychodynamic approach um, meaning I do focus on relationships, interpersonal relationships, relationship with their family, where we come from, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm very much so, um, I call it culturally informative. I think that's stupid because I mean, everyone has, how can you not be culturally informative when you're knowing someone? 
Um, so yeah, that's just kind of my practice. That's my lens, psychodynamic and relational. And then, yeah, I, again, big on the relationship and in the relationship, we can do the work. And I think it's also surprising. People don't realize, you know, you don't go to therapy for me to give you an answer or me to tell you what to do, right? I'm just kind of going on this journey with you. That's a favorite therapist thing. We're going on a journey together. Um, and I'm just helping you figure out the things that you kind of already know or unearth some things you didn't know. So I guess that's a long-winded way of answering your question about how I, it's a complex question because therapy is just so different for who you are. No, I love it. I find therapy so interesting. Like I could hear you talk about this all day. It's amazing. (laughs) Especially the idea, because you actually said it before I asked you the question. This was going to be my next question of like using the like relational model and Mm -hmm. psycho, psychodynamic, something. Yeah. Hey, I got it. Because most of what I've done in therapy has either been like CBT or like DBT skills. You know, it's been Mm -hmm. like a lot of like up until my current therapist, it was a lot of like four square breathing and like five, four, three, two, one, things like that. And I feel like that's completely different from what you were just describing. (laughs) Um, That's like the opposite. Like it's not tailored at all. Um, What, when did you decide, like what, originally like pushed you and you were like I'm gonna do this model of therapy like was it back when you were in school uh-huh uh yeah so in school they make you choose um there's family family therapy psychodynamic cbt which is cognitive behavioral and um existential and when I was in school they like make you learn all of them but they kind of make you focus on one because you want to be like the most advanced and equipped to know this way of treatment and of course we use all of them in different ways like I have to use family therapy in some way. I'm working with someone that's part of a family, right? But I specifically went towards dynamic, relational, this specific sphere because um, things like attachment. Um, So I think what you were talking about are CBT techniques specifically, and they are very helpful. And I would utilize that. If I have a client that's really not able to like game their breathing, I'm like, okay, let's do some breathing. Let's slow it down. Or like mindfulness techniques, which is part of DBT, right? certain models are best used for certain things. So like CBT is a great thing for ADHD usually. It's like a go-to for someone that's ADHD, like here are specific skills, go go do that in the real world, come back, let's see if it works. Here's a way to organize, go do that in the real world, let's talk back, come back and see if it works. But for trauma, right, you can also do CBT work with trauma, I'm not saying that, but for me, like there's a trauma-informed way of doing things through a, a relational attachment role, right? It's like psychodynamic lens. And that's more focusing on these kind of deeper things that are kind of underneath the surface of what we kind of see on the top. Um, and so I, I kind of attached to that because it just fit me. You know, you kind of pick your model that fits you more. Like my best friend that I um, went to school with, CBT, my other best friend whose practice I work at, work at Psychodynamic. Her and I both went that way. She went this way. We collab all the time about everything and consult with each other all the time, but just different models of practice that fit us differently for your personalities which goes back to what I say about your therapist has to fit you. If you are not that kind of person that needs those kind of things, right? You're like, breathing doesn't work. Like I need, I want to figure out like, why is my relationship with my mother like this? Like this attachment piece is happening in all my other relationships. Learning specific CBT skills in that way aren't going to be helpful, right? So now we're going to go more into like this relationship that you've developed and and why and where is that coming from and things like that. So again, it was just kind of, what fit me and what made the most sense to who I am as a practitioner. Yeah, that's great. I did not know that about 
school i i i really don't know much about like science anything there's you know? a, like i mean there's a lot of things about mental health that people don't know at all i, I think people still think that like everyone that says they're therapists they all have the same job like i'm a psychologist i do therapy but i wouldn't be considered a therapist but i do therapy no one really understands that they don't understand that there's different models that we've learned from they don't understand that there's science and research to like what we're doing right it's, therapy and mental health is still this kind of like fluffy pop culture like it only gets serious when someone commits suicide right then it's like what happened what did we do wrong or someone shoots up to school what happened like what do we what who wasn't looking at that kid right now we're talking about mental health as opposed to well it's way more than that it's it was there before we got to someone hurting themselves right so your own kind of discussion of like i don't really know a lot of things that is like the masses to me yeah i I agree. And I think, I don't think I've ever heard an adult actually say what you just said about the idea that people only care when it gets like crazy bad. And it's like at the point where something happens that you can't fix. And I think the biggest example of that was my high school administration. Like they were 110% that my parents are like that. Like there's a lot of like, you can deal with it. You can deal with it. You know, just put on a happy face. It will go away. Yeah, I have so many kids, like eighth graders, they're so that I'm seeing right now going off to high school and they're so stressed because it's high school, high school, and you're taking the test, you know how it is, and it's so much around it. My kids like, I just don't want to go to school, I need a mental health day. But my parents don't believe in that, right? And like, and there it starts. This kid is so stressed. Why isn't it there's no possible belief that this eighth grader is really stressed and that there's not a lot of things going on, that they, they don't have a social like world and they don't have internal problems and things like that. But when my kids start cutting themselves and I have to inform the parents, hey, we had this new behavior coming up. They're like, we're all in a panic. But I told you guys before, like, hey, you kids seem kind of stressed. It's okay if they miss a day of school. The world's not gonna end. It's just eighth grade. Like they're doing great. Let them miss a day of school. Right? It's fine. So that's a perfect example of like no one really cares until it's severe. Right. Until we're all up in arms, like you said, like you can't fix it anymore. It's it's too late. Yeah. And I think that's also like a very big trait of older generations. I see it sometimes with kids my age, like refusing mm-hmm. to acknowledge that they need help. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times it's that like people don't believe in mental health or like don't believe in therapy. Like I just, I don't understand how you can't believe in therapy because it's like a science. <laughs> and that's what I like to go back to. Like people, no one, it's not magic. It's science just like when you go to the dentist. It's science just like when you go get your arm stitched. It's just, Medical science is the same thing. It's science. So it's very interesting, like you said, of how we pick and choose as a, as a society. We all have our personal beliefs about everything. But as an overall society, mental health should be like going to the doctor's office for a checkup, right? What's your brain and emotions looking like you know, at this age in your life? You go get a checkup when you start school, when you go to high school, right? Every year you're supposed to get these things checked. It's the same thing. We use our brains and our feelings and our behaviors every day. I think psychiatry gets that a lot too. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh, I can't take pills for like my depression because like then it means that I'm crazy or whatever. Like real people have told me like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm personally on antidepressants. Like I'll say that I don't care. Like if I was diabetic, I'd be taking medicine too, you know? Exactly. Like Exactly. I'm just trying to get my body straight. Like it's not my fault. My brain chemistry is whack. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um. What you sound very passionate about your job, and I love that. What 
originally inspired you to become like a psychologist? Um, I say this to everyone. I knew it since like the fourth grade. I just like knew I was going to be, I don't know why I knew that word. I think I, I read a lot all the time. So that's why I knew the word, but I um, was like, I'm going to be a psychologist. And I didn't really know what it meant though. I just meant, I knew it meant helping people. And I didn't know what that capacity looked like, of course, until you get older. But I always just knew I was going to help people. And um, I focus a lot of my work on neurodevelopment, um, autism work and things like that. When I was in college, that was most of my research and that's where I was really gonna go. And then when I got to grad school, I got to get a nice taste of like inpatient units full of black and people of color and the LGBTQ plus community. And they're all teenagers and it's like all this trauma. And I'm just kind of like, wait, what? Like, the kid doesn't have like, they're not bad. Like this is trauma. They're not running away because what's happening here. And so that kind of pushed me into my now trauma field work um, because that's where I saw like, okay, this, this thing happens to everyone. And we're not really kind of talking about what does it mean to experience trauma more and how that now offsets and affects these other diagnoses that we see. Um, And so that's kind of how I got to where I am today. But I feel like I just always know I feel very um, blessed to feel like I have a purpose in the world um, and I have a passion. I really love what I do. I also don't like my job, right? Like most people, I things I hate about it. I have my, oh God, I don't want to go to work today. But like wholeheartedly, I know that I'm doing something that I feel very naturally good at. And um, I think that matters. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You mentioned that you kind of worked an inpatient for mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I, I know what that is. Maybe we should, you can explain that for people who don't know. But. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's, um, so like if you go to therapy and you go to a doctor's office, like that's considered outpatient, right? When you're inpatient, you're usually like in a medical facility in a hospital setting, whether it's like a psychiatric hospital, whether you're at like Lori's and you're staying there and you're at a partial hospitalization program. So inpatient just kind of means that you're symptoms are more severe. Um, and so you're kind of in-house kind of seeing lots of different specialists on your team, maybe, or just your psychiatrist or psychologist at that facility. And then outpatient is like when you have more or less, less severe symptoms, right? And you can manage your life without maybe needing as many resources. So that's what that means, outpatient and inpatient. Yeah. Those settings are very different. Um, yeah. And I, I know I, they're crazy different. Um, what have you worked like in any other outside of working in like offices and then you're inpatient? Have you worked in any other types of therapy like PHP or IOP? And like, what did you like gain from those? Like, what did you see in each of them that made you be like, I want to go here? Or maybe like you were like, this is a good part of this. Uh huh. Um, definitely community mental health, because that's where you, when you're in training in school, they're like, oh, you want to do trauma? Go to community mental health, right? It's like, okay. So I spent a lot of my training in community mental health. And that also gave me a lot of access to people's homes. So I was usually dealing with people that didn't have the means, the funds, resources, time of day to go to therapy. So I'm going to go to your house and see you. So I think that specific training did allow me a lot of experience to see, um, you can't hide from things when you're someone's in your home, right? It's kind of just there. So that experience definitely um, was very eye-opening in that it showed, um, you know, it's easy just to say like, 
why didn't this person go do what I told did the, the, why are they going back to this or what's happening when they leave therapy that they're going and to be in their world, to be in their home, to go to the park and have therapy with them, to be in their neighborhood, right? I was quote unquote unsafe neighborhoods, right? Well, this is where people live. So what does that feel like though for these kids? And this is where they're coming from and they go to this school and a whole other innate neighborhood. So I think that part of my work just allowed me to be as close as I possibly could. <laughs> How about that with my clients and my um, patients, whichever setting I'm in, the, the term changes. Um, but that I think was probably my most impactful kind of drawing work because you get to be in people's homes and then it brings another layer to what you're trained to think about things. If the family I'm eating makes me a dinner and this is a proud Puerto Rican mom, I'm going to sit there and eat that dinner with them after session, even though I've been trained, like you're not supposed to do that. So it also forced me to deal with these very cultural, real life things that they don't fit in a book. Right. And so that I think would be the, the biggest kind of um, setting I was in that taught me a lot. And then it also drove me to another space because I needed more structure. So sometimes you have less control in those situations and a lot of the work you want to get done, you can't do. Someone's friend comes over, right? Or like something's happening and there's no privacy, so we have to go somewhere else. And so there's so many factors that while that work is important because you have to meet people where they are sometimes, literally, I gravitated to having a more specific space, which is why I like the, the private practice space um, to have more control over what can happen. And sometimes we need to be removed from our situations to sit with and really work through the things that we want to have time for, as opposed to being in your environment and trying to work through the same things. Yeah, I really like how much, like when you talk, it's very consistent that you really try to create treatment that really fits the patient that you have rather than like being like, here's what I do. If you don't like it, like get lost, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really great. Obviously people can always go see a different therapist if you're not a fit, which some people seem to think isn't true, but like you can always break up with your therapist. Do it. Like do it, do it. Yeah. Um, You did mention at the beginning, and I think this is important to talk about real quick before we wrap up. Um, the idea of people who didn't have like enough money maybe to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Can people who don't necessarily have enough money to pay like for therapy because therapy is expensive um, and maybe they don't have like access to great like healthcare, can they still get therapy? Like mm -hmm. how do they do that? Yes, a hundred percent. Are there as many opportunities for that that are the best? No, unfortunately, but you can find it. It's just a lot of work, which is why I think it's great to just know someone that can give you a little more direction. So I love my friends, family, strangers, like, do you know a therapist? Well, no, but I can help you right, find the specific thing that you're looking for. So there's sliding scale, meaning like some therapists, and I do this too, like, okay, you can't afford my full rate. That's okay. What can you afford? Let's talk about it. What feels comfortable for you? Um, I do pro bono work, depending on who that person is. Um, these are things that we are under ethically, we are asked, we don't have to do, but in the work that we do, um, we are given or expected to do that kind of work when we can. Um, so I do pro bono work um, and then goes back to insurance, but there are a lot of organizations coming around that are offering great therapy. I think it's like hip hop coffee. Um, is it coffee, hip hop mental health? I'm just talking to them. They offer services and they just build a new cafe. And they're trying to match people with different types of therapies. They have all different types of therapists, LCSWs, licensed counselors, all types of people. 
So there are so many resources. It's just kind of like, how do you get to them? Right. Who are you? What are you willing to do? Um, and then who do you know to help you even know that that thing exists? Um, so should there be more of these things? Yes. And I don't want to be on the insurance thing, but <laughs> it's just, it's out there. It's just hard and it should be way more accessible. And the other piece to that is there are not a lot of black therapists. There are not, not a lot of black male therapists. There aren't a lot of Latino therapists. There are not a lot of, la- I can go on and on. Right. And so that's the other thing too. I'm finding a lot of people looking for someone that looks like them, someone that speaks like them someone that comes from the same place they come through. And it's mostly you find, you know, predominantly white therapists. And then it's like, you want to see a doctor? Oh, good luck trying to find a doctor that looks right. It's like, okay, well, I'll find someone that's maybe still a student. There's something wrong with that service, but we know there's just different levels to things and you get different treatment, right? You can go to a hospital and have a surgery in a really shitty hospital, or you can go to one of the best hospitals in Chicago and have the same surgery and come out different, Right. So it's all of these lots of pieces to things that make mental health not accessible to people that really do need it um, and making them feel like it's not a space for them because I can't find it easy. So it shouldn't be for me. Yeah, I think that's really important. And there definitely is a problem with the diversity or lack thereof that we mm-hmm. see in medicine and in therapy yeah. and like yeah. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um or it's almost time for us to wrap up. And I know I said that was our last question, but just one last thing. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody who is like currently struggling with their mental health? I would say, say something to someone. And if you, if you have me already, um, whoever that person is, say something. Because um, that's the first step. It's just kind of like letting someone know that like, I think I need a little help, right? And so that one prayer can go a long way sometimes. And to take it day by day and that everything is temporary. That's my favorite thing to say. Joy is temporary. Sadness is temporary. Anger is temporary. It's all temporary. And we're always constantly going to be going through things and constantly feeling things. And that the world is hard, period. People are like, oh, well, you know, you're struggling. This world is hard. It's hard to be a human. That's just like a general statement. So, you know, if you are struggling, say something. It is temporary, that feeling you're having, whether it's to hurt yourself, that you don't exist, or that you're really happy. And then that to give yourself the grace, like it's just hard being in this world. And we shouldn't go through it alone. That's really beautiful. I think that was very well put. Um, I'm not surprised. It is like something that you've practiced for a long time. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. G. I was a blast having you. It, this was a really like important topic to me. It is an important topic to me. And it was really nice being able to talk to you about it and learn a little bit about therapy and about how therapy interacts with art um, and about you. It's awesome to get to know you. I'm happy that hopefully some of the other youth can get to know you a little better when they listen to this. Just thank you so much for coming on. No problem. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy myself. I love talking about this stuff in a space where it's not expected to be buttoned up and I could just be, you know, myself. And I really felt um, I could be myself and I enjoyed talking to you. I do want to say that book I said earlier is called Consent for Kids, Boundaries, Respect, and Being in Charge of You. And to any Taylor fans, Taylor Swift fans out there, I do not like Taylor. I respect her. 
But, you know, me and Ted have gone through a lot. She'd be singing about things that hurt me. So sometimes I don't be liking to listen to her. So I did want to put that out there, too. But I did make a little comment about her earlier. But other than that, I had a great time. I love the YCA. I'm really proud of the YCA for owning what they've been doing and what's been going on and trying to get better and trying to move forward and really caring about the youth, which is what its purpose is. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for plugging the book. Thank you for apologizing in case we didn't have any <laughs> any Swifties. Um, I think that's what they're called. Um, yeah. Thank you again. And this has been Poets in a Pod with me, Becca Anderson, and Dr. Grand McDonald. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll have another episode out soon.